Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. And we're back, kind of. Hello, my name is George Soroy, and welcome to Season 2 of From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. It has been quite a while since I have since I have last been doing this show. For those of you who have listened to Season 1, thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a joy to put that season together, and for those of you who did not listen to season one, I invite you to do so. It was part of what is known as National Podcast Post Month, which is a challenge that's given where you record a show about like a 10-minute episode of a podcast every day for 30 days. And that's done every November. I've gotten to do that in 2018, 2019, and again in 2021. And it was in 2021, that's when I decided to revisit the one that I did in 2019, which is this very show, From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios. And I wanted to completely redo it with an an actual intro and outro. I didn't want to record it in my on my phone anymore. I wanted to give it a little extra production value and really give potential listeners something worth listening to. And I am really, really proud of how these new and improved episodes came out. It was a real treat to go back and revisit all these movies and come back with some fresh analysis on them. And I had no idea that that what season two would wind up being. I wanted to bring the show back in some way. I just didn't know how. But in May of 2022, I was invited to be a part of Fan Expo here in St. Louis. And I even got to come up with my own ideas for for some discussions. And one of them was was basically a, you would say, a state of the union between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Extended Universe. And when I pitched that idea to the event coordinator, he thought that that was a great idea. That was something that was going to be ideal for the audience that they want for Fan Expo. They felt like it was going to be the perfect fit. And judging by the attendance, he was right. I have I did not expect half that room to be filled, but it was. And I am still just Really, really flattered that everyone stopped in to listen, to hear my thoughts as we went through the timeline that went from 2008 all the way to the present. And it was something really special. And you'll, as you'll hear, I want to doing a, doing a decent job with, with that, with, with keeping everyone engaged and keeping them entertained and, Having a lot of fun with it. It really was a blast doing that. And judging by the feedback that I got overall, I, I feel like that one was definitely a success. And it was something that I felt would be ideal to use as material for a potential season two. And here we are. 
Season two of From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios. So what you're about to hear is mostly me talking about the history of the MCU going into the DCEU and so on. And I wound up having a whole lot of fun with this and I wound up getting a lot of engagement from the, from the audience. Now, the one thing that that's a bit of a bummer is that the audio quality for the audience is not very good, which is a shame because they all had a lot to say and they had some really good feedback and they had some, some, uh, some interesting tidbits of information to add to the discussion. I tried my best to repeat what they were saying as they were going. So you'll kind of be able to follow along with those parts, but I wanted to keep them in because there's some parts that you can hear. So I just really hope that uh, that you guys enjoy this, this presentation that I was able to do. And this was literally my first one of this type. And next week, you're going to hear from the one that I did the very next day, which is called Days of Franchise Past, which is a look at the various continuity issues that went into the Fox X-Men franchise, which is something that I hold very, very dear to my heart. That was my first idea for a presentation that I was able to pitch to the event coordinator. And he was he was very receptive to that. And that led me to eventually pitch this one as well. So... I really hope that you enjoy it. I hope that uh, you forgive any sort of audio issues. This was a live event, and I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on this. Would you like to hear more, more fun elements about this amazing genre of comic book films? If you have requests about something that you'd like to hear, by all means, let me hear them. If there are if I have a chance to bring on some guests that have anything to do with the films that were covered in the first season, I will definitely do so. And so this season is going to be a lot more, like I said, a lot more free flowing. I, you'll definitely hear an episode two and you'll hear an episode three when I spoke with two comic book illustrators talking about the great Neil Adams. And so I felt that that was an ideal place to put that discussion on this show. So you're going to hear episodes one through three, whatever happens after that, we'll have to see. But for now, I hope you enjoy this look back at the MCU and the DCEU. And until next time, Ever Upward. All right. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Figure I'll just go ahead and just do like a slow start to kind of get everything, get everything going. First of all, how's everyone enjoying Fan Expo so far? All right. Yes, that was a cheap. That was a cheap pop. I know. <laughs> My name is George Soroy. I am an author and a podcaster. I have two shows that are out there right now. The one that is currently out and is still going is called Excelsior Journeys. It's a weekly interview show where I've talked to up and coming and established creatives. Let them share their journey to success. It's been a whole lot of fun. And in fact, if any of you, any guys are Fans of the of the show from on Epics on May 31st, you're going to hear an interview with John Griffin, the creator of From. It was a lot of fun getting to talk to him. In fact, a uh, little side note: he and I went to college together, so it wound up being uh, wound up being an easy way to kind of sneak in there and see about getting him in for an interview. But the second show that I did 
was part of what they call the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge, which is every year in November, you post an episode of a podcast every day for 30 days. And it could be like about 10 minutes long, or if you feel like you have a lot to say, you can basically just go as long as you want. And I wanted to have a theme for mine in 2021, so I decided to focus on all of the Marvel movies that were not part of the MCU. And so I spoke about it to a friend of mine, and I said, I want to call it Outside the Marvel Studios. And I said, we're going to go from 86's Howard the Duck to 2019's Dark Phoenix. We're going to go from Duck Till Dark. And he goes, that's your title. So it became from Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. So... Watching all of those different uh, different films that were that had come before and during and even like after the Marvel Cinematic Universe was established, it really kind of gave me a sense of appreciation for those movies that really kind of paved the way. But it also allowed me to think about what to how to really compare both the MCU and the DC Extended Universe because both of them have had. Very interesting histories, and when I was speaking with our program coordinator here about some ideas on what to on what to present here, one of the things that came into my mind was an open discussion about what's been working, what hasn't been working, kind of like almost like a state of the union for both the MCU and the DCEU, and he thought that was great, and judging by... Judging by the attendance from what I'm seeing, he was right. So I'm really glad to see so many of you here. So for those of you who don't remember... 2008 was really a hell of a year for this this genre of comic book movies because the Marvel Cinematic Universe started with the one-two punch of Iron Man and then about a month later or so, The Incredible Hulk. And then not long after that, that's when DC released The Dark Knight, which completely, which completely blew the roof off of everything. Now, of course, four years later, The Dark Knight Rises came, came out, which ended that trilogy. And at that time, there was also the sixth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Avengers. So everything was really kind of, they were going back and forth quite a bit. And DC tried in 2011 to really kind of get their universe going in, with uh, Green Lantern. Didn't quite work. <laughs> Note that I said tried. <laughs> I said tried. It was a noble, a noble attempt. I will, I will say that. A noble attempt. Well, I was, it, was, it, was, it was ambitious, I would say, to, to make the suit, according to a bounty hunter, both green and animated. It was, yeah, it was very, it was very interesting. But, and then having the, the chutzpah, you can say, of having a little mid-credit stinger with, with Sinestro putting on the yellow ring, it's like, okay, so you could have started with that, but at the same <laughs> that seems to be the, that seems to be the, the case with a lot of different cinematic universes. I'm sure that uh, a lot of you guys know the ill-fated dark universe from Universal, saying that teasing so much and basically just introducing Russell Crowe as Henry Jekyll and then just basically just kind of saying, "Oh, we're going to see that more, but first you got to deal with Tom Cruise and this mummy kind of thing." And not many people bought it. And so Thankfully, that was not the case with the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we had one hell of an opener right out the gate with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Now, how many people, when you guys heard Robert Downey Jr. was going to be Tony Stark, honestly, how many of you here were excited about that? Now, when it happened, like as soon as that happened, I have to ask also, how many of you stayed for all the credits? Aha. 
There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Pirates had all three. Like, all three of the movies had, had little end credit stingers. And so at the end credit stinger, I remember when I was, at that time I was living in New York, and my, a lot of people at the Ziegfeld Theater were getting up and leaving on opening night, and I knew that there was some sort of stinger at the end, but I didn't know what it was. So I just turned around and just said, like, there's another scene, and that's what, <laughs> and thankfully a few people listened because they sat down, and they got to see the introduction of Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., as, asking to speak about the Avengers Initiative. Now, when that happened, what did you guys think after that? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, thankfully, they did not make the same mistake that so many others did. They started out with a good movie. And, and despite, like, I know some people had some issues with The Incredible Hulk from 2008. I personally enjoyed it for the most part. But at the same time, I really wish that they kept that end credit stinger in the end credits. That would have been nice. Instead of, because we had a full theater waiting for something else to come up. And they didn't realize that the, the Robert Downey Jr. cameo as Tony Stark was the, was the stinger. So unfortunately that wound up not happening. But then in 2009, we had a break. That was until 2020, that was the last time that an MCU movie was not in theaters. And so... But then in 2010, we had Iron Man 2 to really kind of start things up, introduce some new characters, and really get things going. But then in 2011, we had, again, another one-two punch. We had Thor and then Captain America, the first Avenger. How did, how'd you guys think of those two movies? Yeah? Love the one? Okay. Well, which one, which one worked? Which one didn't? I'm curious. I didn't actually like the first Really? Okay. Was it just, I, and I can, I get it too. Like, I mean, like, it, it's, a ve- it's a very different kind of feel than the other ones, having a, being, a, being a period piece. Yeah. Civil War was, Civil War was fantastic. My personal pick is Winter Soldier, but like, yeah, Captain America really won me over, I, I do have to say. And uh, speaking of Captain America, how many of you guys were um, curious? to see how the Human Torch was going to, was going to do as Steve Rogers. Yeah, I forgot, like, he, he makes you forget. Like, he really does, like, the way that he, the way that he did it. Yes? That, that's during the World's Fair, right? That's right. Yeah, that was that was that was a nice touch right over there. I was I really appreciated that too. But then, yeah, we had we had Chris Evans playing Johnny Storm in the two Fantastic Four movies, the first two that actually made it to theater. I, I strongly recommend you guys check out the uh, the documentary Doomed if you haven't if you haven't already, which is all about the 1994 ill-fated Fantastic Four movie. I think you can see it on Prime Video. If you have to buy it, it's worth buying. I think it's only about ten bucks. Oh yeah, the fan four stick. Yeah, that was. Oh, very, very. Yeah, that was that. Yeah, all the all the Fox ones. I hope you guys are going to be here tomorrow because at eleven at eleven a.m. I'm going to be in this very room, talking about the Fox X Men franchise, and how and and a little bit about how the the, the continuity issues 
can be worked out with the information that they do give you. So, so I hope to see you guys here for that. But, but during that time, so we had from 2008 from 2012... We had Iron Man, we had, we had the Incredible Hulk, we had Iron Man 2, we had Thor, Captain America, and then the Avengers. And over on DC, we had Green Lantern. <laughs> now, like, that's not, counting, you know, it's not counting The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises because they set themselves up as their own trilogy. But Green Lantern was their attempt to really kind of start their own, their own shared universe, to try to catch up to what, was, what Marvel had already started. The fun thing is, is that during that time, Marvel wasn't even 100% sure about what they were doing, really, because Iron Man was great, but then The Incredible Hulk was decent. Iron Man 2 was at, at its issues. Elon Definitely Musk had its issues. I'm sorry? Elon Musk was in it. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were, in the pro- they were in the process of being bought out by Disney. They would wind- it would wind up being in 2011 when that, would- when that would happen. But during that time, and still in 2012 for the Avengers and 2013 with Iron Man 3, they still had the Paramount logo on there. The first one without the Paramount logo was Thor The Dark World, which was a hell of a way to start. <laughs> yes, sir? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like there was there was some back and forth. I think that when it came to the Avengers, I think they were looking at someone that could work with an ensemble, which was why Joss Whedon was was the the top man for the job for that. So that's kind of the way I I, I look at that. Like as someone as someone who is just as disconnected from from the actual goings on as everyone else, we can only kind of go by what we're told. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I can, I can definitely say, like, as when it comes to the Marvel movies that I've seen. I've seen most of them. There's still a few in Phase 4 that I've yet to catch up on. But at the same time, the, what, I've, what I've seen so far, I haven't seen, like, a full-on bad movie. I had some issues with some, but, like, overall, like, there was enough there for each of them that I was able to at least. It was, well, by the, by the end of Phase 3, we had 23. And then we had then we had everything that followed. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, because well, basically, what they did, what Universal did, was very smart because they knew what was happening when it came to when it came to getting getting a Marvel Cinematic Universe off the ground and wanting to involve the Incredible Hulk. So what they did was they normally, studios have five years to get a movie in production or give up their rights. And what they did was they forfeited the rights to Hulk back over to Marvel. But what they did was they said that they, since they gave it to him early, they were able to make a deal to secure distribution for any solo Hulk movie from then on. So you had the Incredible Hulk, but that's why we haven't seen any other Hulk movie as of yet. That's part of it. Um, also, like he also just happens to work better as in an ensemble anyway. 
because one of the things that, that was brought up by executives was they said that the one thing that, that we want Hulk to do is the one thing that he himself doesn't want to do, and that's the Hulk out. So because of that, you had that sort of, that sort of issue going behind the scenes. But thankfully, they were able to make it work in a very interesting way, especially with Thor Ragnarok and then following that up with Avengers Infinity War and then Endgame. But during all that time, in the, when I saw The Dark Knight Rises in 2012, one of the previews that I saw was for a new Superman movie called Man of Steel. And it wasn't quite set up yet that that was going to be the start of the what would eventually be the DC Extended Universe. Yes? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Oh yeah, we see that. Yeah, you know, that's 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 a big. Re- yeah, exactly. That's why like a lot of people would want to do like either both Disney World and Universal, or like in a lot of cases just Universal if they that's the field that they want to they, they want to further explore. Oh yeah. And then, so then in 2013, we got Man of Steel from Zack Snyder. How many of you guys got to see that in theaters? All right, keep your hands up. How many of you were satisfied with what you saw? <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of this, so okay. So I'm not a huge Superman fan, so I just went to go see it as a movie, and as a movie by itself, I thought it was great. I thought it was great fun. Yeah. Right. I can't, like, I, can't, I can't disagree with people's disagreements with that movie. I personally like, thought, it was, thought it was fine, but at the same time, that's also the one that I have not gone back to and watched the most. So, Slightly. <laughs> Slightly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, understandable. Yes. Costner, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, the seventy eight one. But that one, that one didn't have like a tornado all of a sudden just kind of pick them up and sweep them away over to Oz. Like just, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that was actually something that they, that was reintroduced in the 80s 
when uh, when John Byrne got redid the redid the character for his for the Man of Steel. Once that got, once that got going, and they basically just kind of kept the characters alive. It was an, an interesting twist, I thought, because for so long his parents weren't really a part of it. All all he really had was their influence, which is what made Clark Kent such a good person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think. <laughs> so, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. How much do you think of Nolan stepping back affected the DC Extended Universe because he kept retreating and retreating after Matt's Well, I mean, it would have been it would have been nice to have to have to have gotten more of his input because the the Dark Knight trilogy was very solid. I know a lot of people some people had some issues with part three. I, I enjoyed it a lot more when I saw it at home and I could turn on the subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, like, <laughs> other than that, like, I wound, up, I wound up really enjoying it. But at the same time, uh, judging by people's history with Warner Brothers, it's just like it's basically all about the last man standing when it, when it comes to that. It was just like if you can deal with their constant notes and their constant demands about what they want to do because it seems like so many of them are set on making a release date instead of making a movie, which is something that we saw a lot at 20th Century Fox with the Alien franchise. But, uh, but I, I, was, I was overall pleased with, with, it, with it. And then as time went on, we got, like, the MCU just continued on. Like, we got, uh, yes? So, when Man of Steel Yeah. And it seems like the TV shows are what get Superman embodied as the character the most. Mm-hmm. What do you think it needs to be changed film-wise to really get Superman? That's a, that's a really tough one because it's kind of like it's kind of like in remember in 2002 when we had Spider-Man the the to- first Tobey Maguire one and that first 45 minutes was so dead on like the way that they that they did it. Now, like after he became Spider-Man, like whatever, that's it. It went on to its own thing. But those, that, the first forty-five minutes of that, you can compare that to the first hour of Superman of nineteen seventy-eight, because it really was really set set things so well in terms of establishing the character, who he was, the kind of person that he would be, and then going on from there. And then in ten years later, when we got the Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. It wasn't quite as as clear the way that he the way that he would eventually become Spider-Man because I'm sorry not not only not only that but like but it seemed like Martin Sheen was basically told to go to look at with great power comes great responsibility and say whatever he can to go around that and then eventually just come around to just saying responsibility. And that was it. Like, that was the only thing that he could say. Exactly. That's all he could say. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just it. It was just that the first, the first. Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's, 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 that's Marvel's own, you know, that's Sony's own thing that they were doing over there. But the, 
Yeah. So, exactly. Yes. I'm sorry, can you repeat can you repeat that again? Oh. It would have it would have helped. I don't I don't think that it would have saved the movie itself from being something that Sony would have said, "Hey, let's keep going on w- with this franchise." It it was it was a night nice, it was a good way to cap that storyline, like but at the same time I feel like I feel like when it came to what they what they did for those two Spider-Man movies, like they were able to kind of they did their thing, and then thankfully Andrew Garfield's car- Spider-Man was able to get some redemption in No Way Home this past year. Damn good actor, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah, he is. I, I'll you know like. True. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like his, the ending of that one broke my heart. Like the way that the way that that happened. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, like, so during that time, you know, like we still had we still had just Man of Steel coming out, but then in 2016, that's when all of a sudden we got something else. We got a. Now we got probably the most polarizing movie that I think I've ever seen in the in the comic book genre, and that would be that would be the the quite wordy title: Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Or if you really want to get a little extra wordy, throw in Ultimate Edition on top of that for later on when the when it came out on Blu-ray. Now, all right, how many of you guys saw Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in theaters? All right, keep those hands up. How many of you were satisfied when you came out of it? Wow. So this is where I would turn on the Ben Affleck crying meme on my phone. Just <laughs> yes. Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Funny enough, we had Abomination, which looked even more like Doomsday eight years ago. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that was uh, that was definitely interesting. And then it was, and then it was Batman v. It was Batman v. Superman. Then you got Dawn of Justice, with the Justice League kind of like almost like backdoored in with one with one one scene with emails. Yeah. Yeah, that was just like, okay, so all the work's done for them. Really, just... They already have Right. So at, so at the time, like, I never, I've never seen Batman v Superman, because mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't see it then, I didn't see it at all. But at the time, like, all of my chips were pulling into the MCU. Yeah. And so at the same time, with Batman v 
Academy Superman. Before that, we had the best small movie of all time, Captain America Civil War. Yeah. And from a Marvel fan perspective, seeing Batman vs. Superman, it just seemed like they're ripping off the MCU. And like that's it. Like that's the only reason it came out the same year. Yep. It's a it's a story of quote civil conflict between two of the biggest characters in their franchise. Mm-hmm. You just ripped off. You're just ripping off Civil War. Yeah. And the reception I heard from it sounded like it was exactly that. It was just a rip off Civil War, but a terrible rip off. It was. Yeah. <laughs> More emo than anything, but just. <laughs> yeah, and that that was the thing that really that really bothered me because if they wanted to curb from the Dark Knight Returns, it was right there. It was right. Yeah. So then, so at the same time, though, like there, 2016 was also pretty interesting because we not only got that, but then we also got Suicide Squad. Now, <laughs> all right, here's the question. How many of you saw it in theaters? Keep those hands up. How many of you were satisfied when you walked out? <laughs> wow. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, the, the, the trailer, I will say, the trailer will go down. The Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, I consider, like, one of the finest trailers you'll ever see for a movie. The problem is, is that Warner Brothers got their heads so far up their ass that they decided, hey, let's take that and put that over in our movie. And just like, no, you use it to sell the movie. Like, the people that, the people that saw that trailer and really liked it and got in, they're already in. You don't have to give it to them again. So, Yep. 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 Because you not only had that, but you also had Ballroom Blitz as another trailer for it. So yes. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely had something to do with it because what they're constantly, they constantly have to be involved. Like that's their main thing, and that goes back to, that goes back to the to the early, the early eras. Like that goes back to the time when they decided to give the give the sequel of Batman to Tim Burton and tell him make a Tim Burton movie, and he did, and they tried to score Happy Meal toys out of it. And then all of a sudden realized, oh, wait, we asked him to make a Tim Burton movie, and he did, and it's not, it's not what we, it's not marketable enough. So, Joel, what do you got? Just <laughs> yeah, we got bat nipples. And <laughs> Joel Schumacher, I will give him credit. Like the the man like passed away not too long ago and everything. I will I will give him a lot of credit for a lot of the stuff that he had done, and I will give him credit for apologizing for Batman and Robin because he made a. If you guys haven't seen it on the on the 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 double disc DVD for Batman and Robin, it is filled with Schumacher basically saying, "I was an adult. 
I knew, like, I knew what I was stepping into. And <laughs> stepping into, which means that, like, hey, there's dog poo right over there. But <clears throat> Exactly, because normally they had this three-year period. They had 1989 for the first film. Then you had 1992 for Returns. Then you had 1995 for Batman Forever. 1997 was Batman and Robin. And in between that, he, Schumacher had also made a time to kill. So he didn't really have too much time to really kind of get things going, and that allowed Warner Brothers to basically allow the toy molds to get made. And Warner Brothers basically allowed the toy molds to get made and say, this is what is going in the movie. Work around that. And unfortunately, he did. <laughs> yes? They tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that with that is that like that David Ayer didn't even get the movie that he wanted on the screen because there is a lot of rumors just like we had the the talk for years about the Snyder cut of Justice League now there's the Ayer cut for Suicide Squad and who knows what's going to happen with that and there's even like a talk for a Schumacher cut of Batman Forever that is out there somewhere Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, so around that time, like in 2016, by that time, we had, over on DC, we had Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad. However, by over here, over at the MCU, now just going from 2013 on, 2013, you had Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier. How many of you guys, all right, how many of you guys saw that in the theaters? I did not. Now... How many of you guys were satisfied when you left at the end of it? There you go. I'm seeing double hands here, yes. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Winter Soldier for me is still like the gold standard. So then at the same year, you had Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. And then in, and then in 2015, that's when we got, what was 2015? And yes, Avengers Age of Ultron and then Ant-Man. And then, Cap, and then Captain America... Civil War, and then Doctor Strange to round out 2016. So there's already, like, Phase 2 is finished. Phase 3 is already, like, in, in the works. And then they have three movies over here. But then the fourth one came out, Wonder Woman. Now, all right, how many of you guys saw it in the theaters? And how many of you were satisfied when you left? It gave you, like, a little bit of hope. It was just like, okay, we got, like, maybe we got something here. And then at the end of the year, <coughs> we got something else. <laughs> we, got, we got Thor Ragnarok. That's what we got like, at the end of 2017. That's what and before that, we had Spider-Man Homecoming and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And over here, we had Justice League. Now... <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching, did not see it in theaters, but, uh, but that, that wound up being the first one that I wound up missing. And not just because of like any sort of spite or anything, it also just happens to be 
that time when it came out, my daughter was born. So priorities like were, were, were different. So I wound up missing that in the theaters, wound up missing Thor Ragnarok in the theaters. But, yes? Yeah, there was, yeah. We got a, an interesting effect to start off that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Henry Cavill was involved in another franchise, Mission Impossible Fallout. And apparently, when it comes time to shaving, Paramount had an issue with that. And so when reshoots were needed for Justice League, they decided they were going to digitize the mustache out instead of, <laughs> instead of shooting it and then giving them a couple of weeks to fi- also, grow it back in. Something, yeah. Just something. I mean, like, the man was underground for a little while, so, you know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so then we so yeah, so we got the Justice League and I remember watching it finally on in like on video, on DVD and everything. I'm just thinking like, all right. Now, the ultimate team up of superheroes should not be met with just, all right. So, because of that, Yes. And for, the, and for those of us who remember Challenge of the Super Friends back from the uh, late 70s. Yep. So, and, and even getting a little teaser for a potential Legion of Doom to follow that up. But then, we, but, uh, then all of a sudden, that's when things got a little different. That's when all of a sudden they started to realize, like, okay, maybe let's, let's try other things. Let's not just stick to this one thing. Because I think by then, that's when they kind of realize their strength. And this is something that I'm, like, I'm, you guys are, are huge fans. I love that. So stop me if I'm wrong here. But when it comes to Marvel, <laughs> when it comes to Marvel, like, the main thing is it's that shared universe. It's those characters working together and everything. And those characters really are embodied so well by the people that are in them that you can't really picture anyone else doing those. With DC, if you look at just Batman over the years, you have Adam West, you have Michael Keaton, you have Val Kilmer, you have George Clooney, you have, you, you have Chris, Christian Bale, thank you very much. I was about to say Christopher Nolan, but same thing. <laughs> you, have, you have Christian Bale. You have, just live action, yeah. Right, it's just like, and but the thing is, like with those ca- with those characters, the thing with the DC characters, they're so malleable that you can say that you can see elements of those characters in each iteration that's played, and that's the beauty of those characters. So they kind of realized that lately, and they decided they were not going to be slaves to this one continuing timeline. So then, all of a sudden, you have different things that broke away. You have things like Joker. Now, how many of you saw Joker in theaters? Yeah? And how many of you were satisfied at the end of it? Satisfied and depressed. Yeah? Yeah. I remember one person said, I remember one review that said, 
I never want to see it again. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. You can't just watch it on a whim. Yeah. And then you also have movies like Shazam coming out. <laughs> now, how many of you saw that in theaters? And how many of you were satisfied at the end? I love this. I love it. So like, you can see it. Just like all of a sudden they kind of realize, like, hey, let's just cater to the characters. And, you know, like, they can have mentions of, like, a universe or whatever. But we're not going to play toward that. We're not going to put that in there. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like everybody was like seeing like Marvel's success and was like, we can do this, but the fact that they were like, the fact that they were like doing it the wrong way, like how Justice League only came on like four movies. Right. Just how like you really didn't set that up. Like we didn't know Flash was, we didn't yep. know, you know, Aquaman was going to be cool, whatever it came to be. That was the failure of Batman v Superman because they didn't set up Batman or their relationship prior. Right. That's the thing. Captain America and Iron Man. They had their time. They had their time to cut to kind of work their way up to that. Yes, sir. They tried. I, I mean, yeah, Kevin, yeah, Kevin Feige is really just like a real integral person in there. He's the one that really kind of sets the sets the the pace for that. And they tried. They tried. They they tried having Jeff Johns in there for a period of time, and from what my understanding is, that fizzled out very quickly, unfortunately. And it's really, it comes down to Warner Brothers not letting not letting these filmmakers do what they need to do, and that's a primary reason why they decided to why Christopher Nolan not only separated himself from, from Warner Brothers, but when they decided to do their thing with HBO Max and set up that 30-day period where the, mov- where the movies that would just come out would go on the app for free, and that went against everything that he was saying. He was just like, screw you, I'm going over here. And wound up going over to, I think he's over with Universal. And so, yes? Yeah. Right. I can believe that. Right. Right. Yes. Legends of Vox Machina. 
Okay, yeah. It helps that it be produced by the original cast of, of, the, of Critical Fun, Critical World show. Mm-hmm. It's being directed, animated, written by massive nerds who both love D&D, love Critical World, and all things fantasy. Yeah. And the show comes out, huge, major success, and one of Amazon's best rated animated shows. Yep. Exactly, yeah, because that, that's, that's the main thing. And, and Warner Brothers, the, their top brass, still doesn't quite get that. And it's just like they, they're constantly just wanting to put in their input, which has been, which has been like a major issue with that. Yes? Mark Guggenheim? Yeah. Yeah, the one thing I'll definitely give DC a whole lot of credit for is that they know how to at least make good TV when it comes to that because they at least like know that they're they're allowing their characters to breathe for one thing and actually like kind of find themselves and then like and then work with that and then they know thankfully the television department knows to just kind of not interfere. It's the ones that are working on the motion pictures. They always have the the top brass feels like they always have to be involved. And that's probably why we're not seeing guys like Mark Guggenheim being approached to graduate up to the movies because they know as soon as they do, they're going to have to deal with these people. Exactly. There you go. Yep. <laughs> I think that they were smart to really kind of cater to like the older the older crowd. I I really appreciated that. Like and you notice actually like on Disney Plus now that they've acquired all that information, they have a parental lock on on the main accounts now, which is again very smart. And so, yeah, so it's I I I definitely appreciate what they're doing there because they're again, they're catering to the older audience, the ones that can that would be of that range to go ahead and just binge these sort of series. And when you see when you see Daredevil start off with a scene like that hallway scene, you're going to want to keep on going at least with that, at least to see where it goes. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 That is true. That that is very true. That is absolutely true. Yes. Well, I know that Jim Lee is the. Stop me if I'm wrong here. He's the current currently the publisher of DC, right? Head of content. Okay, well, that's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, especially now that that both HBO Max and Discovery are are discussing a merger. So, and there's talk about a lot of the comic book properties and everything going over to Discovery. So we'll see where that goes. But but one thing that I'm really interested in hearing from about from you guys is that in 2020, 
May of 2020, Zack Snyder hosted a, hosted a watch party of Man of Steel on, I think it was Vivo. That was the streaming site. And he did, provided a running commentary and everything. And then at the end, he did a little Q&A. And Henry Cavill was there. And one person asked, so when are we going to see the Snyder Cut? To which he showed full completed graphic that said, Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max coming 2021. Well, he knew it was going. He knew it was coming. He just he bided his time. But but at the same time, like it was. What's really interesting about that about that whole setup was that in 2017, when Zach had finished his cut of Justice League, he showed it to the Warner Brothers brass, and they claimed that it was unreleasable, and were offering one note after another, and it was around that same time that's when he was given the tragic news about his daughter. And so he just stepped away completely. And that's when they brought in Joss Whedon to do the rewrites, and then we got what we got. But what they wanted to do initially was they wanted, since Zach was able to grab the laptop that had his version of it on there, so he was able to keep it at home, they asked if they, would, if they could possibly get that, that footage so that way they could set it up as a, as a work print version to go as the second disc for a Blu-ray release, to which he said no. He said, like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna just sh- let you show this so that you can say, see, weren't we right? Was, wasn't this not releasable? And then, but then thankfully they were able to make a sort of deal so that way he was able to get some additional money to finish up his effects and only shoot one extra scene, which wound up being the epilogue. And that's when we got Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now... Show of hands, obviously we didn't see it in theaters, but how, how many of you saw it on HBO Max? And at the end of that, how many of you were satisfied? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I honestly don't know. Like, I mean, they constantly like make, uh, make decisions and then go back on those decisions so many times. And you know, someone, is going, someone behind the scenes winds up getting themselves in trouble, and then we never hear from that person again. That was supposed to be something that Joss Whedon was going to be doing. And then that wound up not happening. So, yeah, yeah, for the best. But, but at the same time, it's really interesting to see like, what happens here. Yes, a final? I honestly thought it was. I thought it was. I could have stood about a half hour to be cut from it. I feel like there were there there were a little too indulgent moments and yeah, quite a bit of quite a bit of slow mo that could have been pared down. And I would have preferred I would have preferred to keep the the scene with Bruce and Diana going back and forth about whether or not to revive Superman because it seemed like everyone was one hundred percent into that. That felt a little off. I like the fact that they were at, that there was some actual conflict there in in that cut, but overall, I thought it was I thought it was solid. So we have to wrap up. I hope you guys had a good time. I hope you did. Like I said before, I have like please feel free to pick up some stickers over here. I have for the two podcasts. You can go ahead and use your QR the QR codes that are on there to go ahead and subscribe. Thank you guys so much for coming. This was a lot of fun.